You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Okay, good morning. Good morning. Last I, before I turned around, like worshiping, you weren't all there, and uh, yeah, so you praise God. God just brings other people as well. Uh, Matt kind of took a little, little bit of my thunder because I was going to give a little update, but I still will. He said a few things. So I'm Chris Gervin, if you didn't hear, I'm the pastor at Redemption Church in Red Deer. Um, so I first came here actually about this time, um, 2018, me and my family, as we moved to Cochrane. And we just, we fell in love with this church, loved the worship, loved the doctrine. The first time I met Pastor Trevor, um, he found out I was in seminary, and he's like, have you ever thought about church planting? And I'm like, never in a million years, actually. That wasn't at all on my radar, but uh, God had other plans. And um, basically, I just want to give you a quick update where we're at now. So we've been meeting in Red Deer over the past, in the wintertime, at a place called the Dome. We've been meeting on an indoor soccer facility, literally setting up chairs on a soccer field. And uh, so hard chairs on a Saturday night. Uh, I said it was actually quite cold at times, but we met with God there. <laughs> and it was, it was actually just a blessed time, opening up the word, singing praises to him, fellowshipping with one another. And the Lord has, has blessed our gathering together there in Red Deer. And so we're so thankful for what he's done. God has continued to grow our number. He's blessed us with generous givers. As, as uh, Matt said, we'll be installing two elders here in a few weeks. Excited for that. We're Maybe like you guys were in need of more small group leaders as more people keep coming. We want to continue to see people get plugged in in our church and grow and fellowship with one another. We're, current, we're looking for someone to help lead music ministry, youth ministry, looking to hire a full-time staff. I uh, appreciate your prayers for that. It's been amazing what God has done. It's also been overwhelming because all along it's just God's been the one doing it and he's the one who builds the church. And so we're always crying out, Lord, help us. We don't, we don't actually know what we're doing. <laughs> we need to bring more people, their gifts and abilities to help continue to build the church. And he has been faithful. And as, as Matt mentioned, actually next Sunday we're moving to uh, a Seventh-day Adventist church so we can meet Sunday mornings, a great space for us. Please appreciate your prayers for the transition there. And also just praise the Lord that he has provided a space for us there. But, yeah, thank you for your prayers, for your, your giving to this church that supports church planting. It's amazing what God has done in Alberta. Actually, in a few weeks, God willing, September 18th, Redemption Edmonton is being planted. It's amazing what the Lord's doing and just kind of let's keep praying, keep seeking him. I think it, it summarized well what God is doing with the Great Commission Collective Churches in church planting. At the end of Ephesians 3, this isn't the message, this is just my update, Ephesians 3, 20 to 21, Paul finishes this awesome prayer with this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's our God. He does far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, and he continues to do that, continues to show himself faithful. So, Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your partnership in the gospel. I'm just going to pray before we get into the word this morning, if you want to bow with me. Holy Father, what a, a joy it is to fellowship with these brothers and sisters in Christ. Even driving here this morning, reminded of how we met with you in such great ways uh, here in Calgary, in small group in Cochrane, and met so many great uh, servants of you, Lord. What a blessing. I pray as we open up your word this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me, that we use your word to accomplish your purposes, that in the word preached, oh God, give us open ears and open hearts, and that you lift up Jesus Christ even higher in our midst, and oh God, that you would receive the praise and glory and honor due your name. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you have a if you have a Bible, if you want to open up to Psalm 84, Psalm 84, that's what it will be this morning in our church over the summer. We've been in just in various Psalms. 
I don't know about you, I, I feel like the church, we need more psalms in our hearts and in our soul. So we'll be in Psalm 84 this morning. Just before looking at it, just want to ask, does anyone love a good campfire? I, I, <laughs> I love it. The hands popped up. I know some people don't. Even the lady, you know, some people don't like camping, maybe don't like campfires. I love a good campfire. I love to continue to chop wood, continue to pour wood on the fire and just get that thing blazing. And even, I, was, I, I just thought of uh, when I was in family camp with this church, 2019, I even won a little keychain. As I don't know if it was like the pyro of the week or something, but I was like just attending to the fire so much, I won an award. Uh, <laughs> so I love a good campfire. I love when you get it hot and blazing. My prayer uh, for us this morning is that as we look at this psalm, as we proclaim this psalm, it would be like pouring gas on the fire of our faith. My prayer, thank you, is that we would increase our heart's desire for God. If our desire for God is a flame, some people come in here and it's burning bright. And other people are maybe are coming here this morning and it's just... It's just waning. It's just in embers and others in between. So as we look at and meditate upon the psalmist, we're going to see his longing for God and see how it shapes his life. I pray that it would actually do the same thing and actively happen in our own lives. So what we do in our church, I'm just going to bring to you guys, uh, if you want to stand with me as we read God's word, just, just to uh, reverence the word of God, I'll be reading Psalm 84. Oh God, do not keep, oh sorry. <laughs> How lovely is your dwelling place, or O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. Thank you. As we're looking at Psalm 84, what I want us to first see, we'll get there in a moment, is what does it mean to desire God? What does that look like in our own lives? And then if, as we see, what does it look like to desire God? Then like what are the markers of someone who desires God? Desire for God, we want to see, leads to praise. Leads to actively pursuing worship with his people. It leads to prayer. And it leads to heart change and, and God's blessing. And I pray that that's what we're going to see in Psalm 84 this morning. Just a little background as, before we dive in. If you'll notice, Psalm 84, it's a, a psalm of the sons of Korah. We're not sure when this psalm was written. We know a little bit about the, the sons of Korah. They appear as temple singers in 2 Chronicle 2019 or temple gatekeepers. They had this job in the temple to, to be there either to open up the, the doors and guard the doors, make sure the right people went in, or constantly singing songs before God. That was the job of the sons of Korah. And just to actually put this psalm in the right context, it, its its focus is going to the temple. And why was that important? I just want to, I'm going to reference a number of passages for you so you can feel free to follow along or just write it down because I'm going to be going back and forth. But like why would, is it so important to go to the temple? Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 16, 16 and 17, three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, 
at the feast of unleavened bread, at the feast of weeks, at the feast of booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given. That's the focus of this psalm, this person who's desiring God. He's desiring to go to the temple, the place where people went, not just men, but men, women, and children, three times a year, if they could. Or at least once, they'd make the pilgrimage to the temple. Just thinking about the temple for a sec, the temple I'm talking about built by Solomon, a place of worship covered in, in a large part in gold. They had the, the bronze of places where they sacrificed animals to God. They had the, if you'd walk into the holy room, there's the altar of incense. And behind that curtain, there's the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. But this is where the people of God gathered to worship the Lord. In the Old Testament, the temple was the place where God dwelt. Jerusalem was the capital. The temple was the center of their worship. And the reason I'm making such a big deal about this is because it's hard for us to grasp the importance of place when it comes to worship. We're meeting on, in a gymnasium. We meet in Red Deer on a, on a soccer field. And so to think of there's this one place that everyone gathered together and it was so important to meet with God there, that's what we need to kind of grasp to understand Psalm 84. And even as we dive into it, I just want to point out, we'll be looking at what is the kind of the Old Testament perspective how do they understand it? But then we're also going to keep coming in from a New Testament perspective as Christians. Just want to give you that heads up. So if you look at verses 1 and 2 with me, thinking how to desire God. The psalmist starts, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. How lovely is your dwelling place, or O Lord of hosts. I want you, I don't know if you do in your Bibles, when you read a name of God, I would encourage you to underline it. When you read a name of God, and it'll really it'll mark up your Bible all over the place, but that's okay. It's okay to write in the Bible. But it's amazing. This psalm is just scattered with the names of God. But, O Lord of hosts, one commentator says this, it's a title that speaks of God's transcendent sovereignty over all he has made. Another commentator, speaking of Lord of hosts, Yahweh is the Lord of hosts, almighty, the great king. And he has at his command innumerable heavenly hosts, reflecting the glory and splendor of undisputed lordship. He is the commander of all powers in heaven and on earth. He battles. His battles always win him victory. So think, the Lord of hosts, the psalmist is starting to just reflect on, meditate upon who God is. This is where he's starting. This is where we need to start. How to desire God, we need to be thinking upon God. We need to be meditating upon him. I believe John Owen said, think greatly on the greatness of God. So that's why if you keep, every time you see a name of God, you're underlining, you're highlighting, like how does God reveal himself in scripture? Right there at the start, Lord of hosts, the Lord of the heavenly armies. Verse 2, he continues. The psalmist pours out, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord, my Heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. As I sit and as I meditate upon this text myself, I'm constantly struck. Every time I read, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. I have to ask myself, is that true for me? Is, is that true for you? The longing, the desire that we see of the psalmist here in Psalm 84, can we say yes, that's happening in my life as well. The psalmist yearning for the temple was a yearning for God. We see actually the same type of excitement, the same yearning in another well-known psalm, Psalm 42, also written by the sons of, of Korah. Where there, at this point in verse 1 and 2, it says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? But of course we know in that psalm, is someone who is like down low and kind of encouraging themselves to hope in the Lord. But in Psalm 84, it's just joyful exaltation, just joyful kind of pouring out of praise to God. But I want us to see here in, in verse 1 and 2, desire affects our heart and our praise. I don't know if you would agree with that. Like look at his desire, his thinking, meditating upon God, and then he says, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God, the living God. 
He is the one who, made, who is himself alive, the source of all other life. But just a question for you. I don't know if you see that and you're like, is your soul longing for God? And if, you, if you're saying like, no, 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 my soul actually is not longing for God at all, then I would ask, is the spirit of God in you? Because if you have the spirit of God in you, there's something in you, like there's a desire, there's an there's a excitement to seek the Lord. And perhaps if you don't have that longing, I would just, I would exhort you, like look to Jesus Christ. Surrender your life to him. Maybe you're like, I have it, everything together, I'm all in control. And that's maybe you don't have a longing for God. I would say like lay that down. Bow your knee to the Lord. And say, hey God, take my life. Use it however you'd like to. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we first need to have that longing, that stirring for God. But even we know as Christians, as, as those who are like, yes, I'm, I'm following the Lord. And maybe at times our desire, our longing is actually stifled. Maybe we need to think, how do we shape our desires? How do we shape our affections? I believe it's by what we feed our eyes with, our ears. Because just think, if we're, if we're fulfilled by other things in this life, we'll have less of a longing for God. The other, other day, my friends invited me to this uh, big barbecue at their house. The guy, he got a new smoker, and so he smoked these ribs, and we went, and there was like ribs and baked beans and salad, and there was ribs. And like no one's like, hey, I'm going to leave more room for the salad. You're like, no, like I need some more ribs. It was so good. But imagine if before I went and took this meal, I just got a big bag of potato chips. I just started just eating a couple, eating a couple, and just finished the whole bag. And so by the time I go there, there's the spread, there's the meal. It's amazing, but I'm like, I don't hunger for it at all. And that's what it can be like if we fill ourselves with other things of this world. That actually will stifle and it will kill our desire for God. And so just a, just a question for you, for all of us to think through, is what you put in front of your eyes, what you put in your ears, the things that you do and, and where you spend your time, does it increase your desire for God or, or does it diminish it? And just think for a moment with me, like what increases our desire for God? Clearly the psalmist who's saying, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord, had this strong desire for God. What could increase our desire for God? It's not an exhaustive list. That would be a whole message in and of itself. I believe there's like a website devoted to it. Shout out to John Piper. <laughs> but like what could increase our desire for God? One, just being out in God's good creation. How about you, like just the mountains that are so close in the summertime, just being out and seeing, like the, the heavens, the sky proclaims the glory of God. You see a sunrise or a sunset, that's just like it's, it's increasing a longing and a desire for God. Gathering with God's people, we'll talk about more. There's just something about being with other believers gathered in a place. Even if, if your fire of faith is kind of waning and someone else is like, man, I can't wait to come together. I can't wait to sing. It increases our longing for God. Of course, prayer. We're going to talk about, of course, either reading the word ourselves or hearing it proclaimed. I, I pray that this morning that you'll have an increased desire, an increased longing for God. But as we look at Psalm 84, of course, singing praise to the Lord. Here's something that we maybe don't think of often. What increases our desire for God? Suffering. Suffering increases our desire for God. Because we all have so, much, so many things in our life, and as things are taken away, who do we have left? We have God. And so no one like runs headlong into suffering, but then when we meet it, when we meet suffering, when we meet trials, which we all do, will we turn to God in those times? And increase our longing, increase our desire for him. I pray that we would. So just, a, just a, a look at like what increases our desire for God. We see the psalmist, he has a desire for God. And if you're like, yes, I have a desire, I have a longing after God. 
then what would be like markers of that? I believe that's kind of the rest of the psalm. Someone who has a desire for God will have these markers in his life. I pray you have them, and I pray we'd have them increasing in our lives. Look at verse 3 and 4 with me. I want us to see how desire for God leads to praise. Psalmist writes, Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars. Like even the smallest animal finds a place of peace and resting within God's presence. I don't think it actually on the altars, because the altars were filled with fire, so not a good place for the spare, little sparrow to have a home. But uh, like in God's presence, being near him, that's the picture that's being painted. Continues, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Just think about this, like what are an example of that actually are the sons of Korah, if you read about them in the Old Testament, like their job was to be at the temple and to sing praises to God. That, that's what they did all the time. Think of a, an example of this in the New Testament is in like someone who dwells in God's house, ever singing your praise. Example of this was Anna. I don't know if you remember the story in Luke chapter 2 verse 36 when the baby Jesus is being brought to the temple for this first time. And Simeon sees him. But then there's Anna. In Luke 2.36, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Like that's what Anna was about. In the New Testament. And be, because of that, she saw the baby Jesus. Amazing. That was her, her heart's bent was to be ever singing the praise to God. And what does it say? It says you're blessed. You're blessed are those whose strength is in you. Are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. So just the question, how to dwell in the house of the Lord. How do you dwell there forever? Again, this is like a New Testament now looking at the psalm. To be able, you have to be able to say like the psalmist. Look at the end of verse 3. The psalmist says, my king and my God. If you want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, ever singing his praises, you have to be able to say, yes, he's my king and my God. And bow down before him. Even as the songs that we sang today. Jesus, the Messiah. We bow down before him. John 14, 6. Right? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. By believing and trusting in Jesus, it allows us to dwell in God's house in heaven forever. And it says you're blessed. You're blessed if you're in Christ Jesus. You're in a good place. That's a reason for joy. Whatever else you have going on right now, you could have like a car breaking down, you could have sickness, it could be financial strain, you could feel lonely. Maybe you don't know what to do in the future, you're not quite sure, but what does it say? Blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. Blessed. I want, do you see that though? Do you see clearly like desire for God leads to praise? Even the psalmist says in verse 2, my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. A question, do you, do you have a song to sing to the Lord? Like that's a natural outflow. Like we're desiring God, we're longing God, and then we have songs rising up to God. A few weeks ago we looked as a church at Psalm 150, right? Like the culmination of the psalms, how's it going to end? All these psalms of praise and thanksgiving, of, of lament, of worship. And Psalm 150, what is it? It begins with praise the Lord. It ends with praise the Lord. It uses the word praise 13 times. It talks about like whatever instrument you have, bring it. Whoever has breath, whatever has breath, praise the Lord. So that's like such a natural outflow. Like I have a longing, I have a desire for God. Then it just, it turns into praise. Even as we looked at today, as Nathan just read from Revelation 5, like in heaven, like all the angels gathered together are singing songs to God. And one day as the redeemed will be there, we'll be joining in, we'll be singing a new song to the Lord. But in the meantime, while we're here, do you have a song to sing? 
Is there a song that you're singing to the Lord? Because a natural outflow of a desire for God is praise. This week, I don't know if I read something or, or heard something, but like, to God be the glory, this old hymn. I haven't even sang it that many times, but it was just in the back of my mind. I just had to keep kind of singing that. To God be the glory, great things he have do has done. He loved us so much that he sent us his son. I won't keep, I'm not a singer. I preach the song. <laughs> but is that, does that happen in your life? Does God give you a song? Even what we sang this morning, if there's one song, you're like, wow, that resonated with my heart. Grab hold of it. Keep singing it. Because not only, like, if you have a desire, it leads to praise. But even as we praise him, it actually increases our desire for him as well. So, verse 4, is that true of you? Blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. Selah. Pause. Think about this. Continuing on, verses 5 to 7. I want us to see that desire for God leads to actively pursuing worship with his people. So there's like praise between you and the Lord and there's praise gathering with other people. Look at verse 5 with me. Another blessing says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to, to, to Zion. This is a, a second blessing, not the second blessing of the psalm. So for those who find their strength in God, every Every breath, like physical strength, but then also spiritual strength, courage and conviction. And what, what is the longing of the, the psalmist's heart and whose heart are the highways to Zion? Translated a different way, maybe some of you have it, or who, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Like there's this longing after God, and because there's a longing after God, there's a longing to be with God's people on the journey to Jerusalem to worship him. That's what he's talking about. Like people who have in their hearts the highways to Zion. People who have in their hearts the desire to be making the trek to go meet with God and his people in Jerusalem. Think about, I don't know, have you ever been with people and you're talking to them and they're like just looking off in the disc, like they're daydreaming? I get happens with my kids a lot. I'm like, are you listening? But imagine, imagine if like you're longing for God. And you're thinking about that and someone's talking to you and you're looking past them because you're like, man, when can I go and gather together with God's people again and sing and praise? I, I, I can't say I often do that. I want to. I'm like, Lord, do that in my life that I wouldn't be good to talk to because the desire for God, I'm like looking past, longing for him. I think that's what the psalmist is talking about here. Now continue thinking about those who are actually going in verse 6. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. This valley of Baca can be translated a number of different ways. You can just say Baca just refers to tears or refers to a type of trees. But it wouldn't make really sense if it goes through the valley of tears and they make it a place of springs. I think it's an actual literal place that's dry. So as they go through like this dry and weary place, the valley of Baca, on their way to Jerusalem to worship God, what can it be like? They make it a place of springs. So just, just think about that. In a dry and a weary land, as they're going to worship God, God makes it a place of refreshing. Isn't that what God can do in our lives? Going through dry places, dry seasons, God can make it a place of water, a place of spring, a place of flourishing. Again, their, their destination, their heart's desire, as they're going through hard times, they want to be with God. They want to be with God's people in the temple. Charles Spurgeon says this, God gives to his people the supplies they need while tra traversing the roads which he points out for them. Where there were no natural supplies from below, the pilgrims found an abundant compensation of waters from above. Like if that dry place became a place of springs, and if it wasn't that, then God actually also sent rain down upon them at the right time. But God, he gives strength to the weary. He can meet us in the dry places. As our desire and our longing for him grows, he can, he can bless us in that. So look at, again, verse 7. As they're going, as they're going to Jerusalem, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God 
in heaven from strength to strength. They're going to God. They get strength from God to keep going. Again, the psalmist's focus was on the temple, the destination, the heart desire. Why? Because God was there. But you think in terms of, of for the, the New Testament, for the Christian, like we're not all like, hey, let's all go to the temple. As a, as a Christian, if you're like, man, I have the spirit of God in, in me, and we read in the scripture, Jesus says that the, the church is the bride of Christ. And so you're like, man, I love Jesus. Then you're going you're gonna to love the church. And it's not like the church, like, man, it's just somewhere out there. The church is like the local body of believers in which you gather with. So the psalmist's longing was to go to Jerusalem. Right? An increased longing desire for God, I believe, makes you actively pursue worship with God's people. So for us as believers... We're not going to Jerusalem, but there's an increased desire, a longing to be with God's people. We call it church on a Sunday, on a Saturday, whenever you meet. Or gathering for a prayer meeting. Or in, in the future, in the fall, gathering in small groups. Like, man, because I have a longing, a desire for God, I want to be with God's people. I want to be actively pursuing that to worship God together. That's what the psalmist is talking about. They're, they're going together to worship him. So just, just ask yourself this question. If you're like, yes, I have a desire for God. Is gathering with God's people a priority in your life? And is it a joy? <laughs> it's not like, oh, man, it's turn the alarm off. It's Sunday morning. You're like, man, I get to go and worship together with other believers. What a blessing is mine. And I don't know about you, but like the summer is like the Wild West. It's like people, we're just coming and going and we're like running here, running there. And I'm like, man, peaches are in season. I got to eat peaches. I already ate the cherries. I got to run this place and that. And so we're all kind of a little helter-skelter. But I would just encourage you as like the fall's coming, maybe as kids return to school and we find more of a routine, make the gathering of God's people a significant part of your routine. Like, because I long after God, I'm actively pursuing worship with God's people. Make gathering together in small groups, like weekly. It's not just like, okay, we can do this on a Sunday morning. Yes, praise the Lord. Man, like seven days, that's a long time. Then to meet with a smaller group of saints and to encourage one another. Man, what a blessing that is for our heart. So I would just have you think about that. Have you pursue that. Looking at verses 8 to 9, I think we see very clearly, these are, these are not like rocket science points, but desire for God leads to prayer. Everyone's like, yeah, of course it does. But look at this, verse 8 and 9, even as the psalmist is writing, verse 8, O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. As he has this longing for God, as he has this longing to be with God's people, to worship God, he just breaks off into prayer. And he starts praying for the Lord's anointed. Who is that in the Old Testament? He's praying for the king. In the midst of his longing for God, his desire, he's like, now I just have to start sending my, my prayers up to the Lord. You just start praying. Doesn't, doesn't that often happen to us? Even maybe as you're praising God or if you're, if you're thinking upon God, it starts to turn to prayer. Either first like praise of who he is, then maybe like requests that we have, maybe thanksgiving. Mark Futado wrote this, speaking of praying for the Lord's anointed. The principal human agent during the monarchy was the king, the Lord's anointed, the representative of the people. The ultimate anointed and royal human representative is at the same time God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. So think about that. We don't, we're not like, as we're praising God, turning to prayer, we're not praying for a king. Yes, we pray for our, our government authorities, we should do that. But we're not praying for a king, we're praying to a king. If you're a Christian, we have a king, his name is Jesus. He is our shield, he is our hope, we pray through him, and he's praying for us. So that's just the difference in the psalm, right? We actually have the Lord's anointed on our side, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, was buried, rose again, 
and is at the right hand of the Father interceding. He's praying for us. So a longing for God should lead to prayer and prayer through our King Jesus, right? It's not like we just say in Jesus' name just because like this is what we've always done. It's because we've been forgiven because of what Jesus has done. And we can go into the very presence of the Father, into his holy presence because of the blood of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And so as we pray, we, we go to the Father in Jesus' name. And at the same time, he is in heaven at the right hand of the Father right now praying for us. That's the king that we have. That's the Lord's anointed. So we see the psalmist in the midst of his longing, his desire for God, it turns to prayer. And just ask you, as we ask one another, like, how is your prayer life? And again, it's like when you ever ask someone that, no one says, it's great. Because, I don't know, none of, us, like, none of us can ever, like, actually, you interrupted my prayer when you asked me that question. <laughs> like, we can all grow in our ability to pray. We're not, no one's ever, like, actually, I've reached the mountaintop. <laughs> we want to keep growing in our, in our conversation with God because we're longing after him. We want to talk with him. Right? We want to commune with him. And that will increase, actually, our desire for him. So desire for God leads to prayer. I think we can easily see that. Lord, help us to seek you in prayer more. Now looking at verses 10 to 12, I want us to see desire for God leads to heart change and God's blessing. Look at verse 10 with me. For a day, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I don't know what you like. There's certain psalms, certain portions of psalms we should hide in our heart. This verse is one of them. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Maybe many of you, if you, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, I don't know when that song was. Maybe you, there's a song that's going in the back of your mind so you have this verse memorized. But I love that. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of wickedness. It's like I would rather like just be like here's the door opening to be with God's people. Just like have my foot there. Like be on the threshold. Just like barely be in. That's okay. Then be right in the middle of everything going on with wickedness. I'd way rather be there. This is what the psalmist is saying if you think about this, it'd be like, imagine there's this, this huge party, this huge get-together. The, the chairs are, are made with ivory, layered with gold. The cups are like, you know, crested with diamonds. It's a feast with the best food in the world, has the best entertainment offered, but God's not there. Or there's, there's a prison, it's, it's rough, moldy bread and a bit of water in a rusty cup, but God is with you. Which would you choose? Where's the happiest place on earth? It's not Disney. It's being with God, with God's people. Amen? I don't know. Some of you are convinced it's Disney. You're just like, huh? I don't know. <laughs> A good example of this, of like, man, I'd rather be with God's people. I'd rather be with, with God as a doorkeeper than dwell in the tents of wickedness. A good example of this is actually Moses. Just looking at Moses Hebrews 11, 24 to 25, it says this. You guys know Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Like Moses grew up in Egypt at the pinnacle of Egypt. Like, so it was like the top nation in all the world. And he, was, he grew up with Pharaoh's daughter. So he had an in into the kingdom. He had the, like the top place. But when he grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses is like he could have everything in Egypt, everything at his disposal, and said, no, he turned his back. He's like, no, I'm with God's people. And where did that, that get him? Well, God did miraculous things through him. They brought the people up, but then he was in a desert for 40 years. But he was with God's people. He was faithful. 
Charles Spurgeon said this, God's worst is better than the devil's best. Are we convinced of that? I think the type of heart attitude the psalmist is speaking of is also echoed in Psalm 34, 25 to 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Or like the New Testament way to articulate it, Philippians 3.8, Paul says, I count everything as lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Like in comparison, like there are, there are great things that we enjoy on earth. It's like, no, it's all garbage though. In comparison to knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Amazing. If we have this attitude, won't this change how we live and spend our time? How we orient our priorities each day, each week? The places that we would put our feet I remember when I was, I was a newer Christian, before I was a Christian, I was, a, I was an alcoholic or a drunkard. God saved me, took that out of my hands, and I was with some friends, and they're like, hey, let's go to, let's go celebrate my birthday. And I'm like, yeah, sure, we'll go to Boston Pizza, and there's a few of them, they're drinking. And I'm like just drinking water. And you can imagine, it's like, this is so fun. <laughs> it wasn't. But they're like, hey, why don't you like be our DD, designated driver, and you can take us to the bar. I'm like, I really don't want to, but they're under the influence. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll take you there. And as I was walking, and they're like, hey, come inside, just hang out for a bit. I went to go in, and I'm like, for me, I'm like, I couldn't keep going. I'm like, this isn't the place where my feet are supposed to touch at the moment. I've been here before. God's changed my life. I couldn't keep going. So it like changed where I'd put my feet. Better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. Won't it change us if we have this longing desire for God? It'll dictate the places we find ourselves in. Maybe you're at work, you're gathered in the crowd, and someone says a really rude joke. Maybe it's like, man, that's, that's not for you. It's maybe not for you to laugh at. It kind of separates you from it. Or maybe some of you going back to school here in the fall and you're like, man, I have a longing after God that might separate you from certain, certain groups of friends and make it harder for you. That's okay. Better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in tents of wickedness. And even for all of you here, like instead of at home sleeping in, we're all gathered together. It changes where we are and what we'll be doing, a longing after God. But why would we do that? Why would we say that? Look at verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord God is a sun and shield. As in like literally he, he provides the sun. He put it in the sky. It gives us heat and it's light. And spiritually he gives us light. His word is a, is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. He gives us spiritual knowledge and discernment. He is a shield. He's protection. He keeps us safe. Like in so many more ways than we're aware of. I don't know about you, like every time we get to gather together, it's because God's goodness and kindness and his grace. And we don't even know which ways he protects us throughout the week. But he is. He's a sun and he's a shield to us. And look at this. And the Lord bestows favor and honor. Other translation, the Lord gives grace and glory. Doesn't it makes me like, yes, yes, I want to follow him. It's increasing my longing for him. He says, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing does he withhold from, from those who walk uprightly. Or it could be translated from those who walk with integrity. Think that a picture of, this, of a person who's honest, who's trustworthy, who doesn't talk behind people's backs the same alone as, as she is with others, or doesn't change when he's with different groups. I don't know about you, though, when I read that, like I have this longing for God, but no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly or those who walk with integrity. The thing is, we don't walk uprightly. <laughs> we actually, we don't walk with integrity. We need God's help. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. We need to be changed from the inside out, right? 
If we have a desire for God, it leads to heart change. But first, our desire for God shows us we need a heart change. Because God is holy and we're not. I'm like, oh, I want to walk after him. I want to walk uprightly. I want to walk in integrity. But I know I don't. That's why I need Jesus Christ. That's why I need Jesus Christ. If you're like, yeah, yeah, that's me. I'm doing it perfectly. No, none of us can say that. We all fall short. And that's why we, even if you're, if you're not a believer, we need to turn and trust in Jesus. Trust in his righteousness. For, for those of us who are believers, even if we want to keep walking uprightly, it's, it's by Jesus' work in our life, by the power of the Holy Spirit. How amazing that is. It's like this standard we cannot meet. And so then we turn our longing and our desire to Jesus. We throw ourselves upon him. And he, God does that work in us by the Holy Spirit. And when we stumble and fall, we, turn, we ask for forgiveness. We get up and we keep going. We keep seeking to walk uprightly. Keep seeking to walk in his ways. So even as I, as I look at this passage, as I see that, I'm like, ah, oh, that, that's not me. But Jesus Christ in me, Jesus Christ in you, yes, he can accomplish that. We can walk uprightly by him in us, by him through us. And I think the more that we desire God, the more that we see him clearly, we see the call in our lives to walk in ways pleasing to him, and we should see the gap between the calling and the reality. And again, we throw ourselves on the Lord and, and trust in Jesus more fully. Not just like, yeah, yeah, I did years ago. I've trusted him. Like, no, today. That's, this is where my hope lies completely is in Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. Like, that's the amazing thing. That's the hope that we have. So there's this call. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing. I think sometimes we can think, though, that following God costs us good things. But it says no good things. Sometimes we think maybe whether it's experiences like we, I want to go and go to this place, but I know maybe as a follower of Jesus, maybe I shouldn't be there. Or maybe, maybe there's opportunities business-wise. You're like, I know I can make a lot of money doing this thing, but like, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to. Or maybe it's a relationship, maybe a guy or a girl, you're like, I really want to be with this person, but it's going to cost me if I follow Jesus. But it says it costs us no good thing. Doesn't God just want me to be happy? Well, no. <laughs> he wants you to be holy. And, and, and yes, he wants you to be blessed. Blessing... One writer writes this, it's a heightened state of happiness and joy implying favorable circumstances and enjoyment. Like greater than happiness, God wants you to be blessed. And I don't know about you, when I just read this, I just want to hit this home. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And saints, if there's any of you who will walk with the Lord for any length of time, can you testify, yes, there's no good thing that God withholds from those who walk uprightly. He provides what you need when you need it. He provides the strength you need to keep going. It's not that he provides every want, but he provides what you need. And we need to testify to the next generation as they're wrestling through like, man, there's a cost to following the Lord. But it says no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. We need to tell the next generation, yes, that is true. In following the Lord, he provides what you need when you need it. Just like the good shepherd, right? He, maybe he leads you down into still, quiet waters. He also leads you through the valley of the shadow of death. But he's always with you and he's always providing for you. We need to tell the next generation, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Looking at verse 12. Finishing this message, the psalmist finishes with, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the third time the psalmist writes of God's blessing, right? Those who would desire and long after him would receive God's blessing. Verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart are the highways of Zion. Of verse 12, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you in you. The one who trusts in you for today, for the next month, 
for the fall, for whatever is coming. We're trusting in him. Why? Because he's the Lord of hosts. He's the God of heavenly armies. He reigns supreme. He spoke everything into existence. And I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't have it together, but I'm trusting in him. And the Bible says, yes, if you're doing that, you're blessed. You're blessed. I'm not talking about like, man, everything is going to work out. Like gold's just going to fall from the ceiling. But like you're blessed. Like you have, if you're in Jesus Christ, you have an inheritance in heaven that won't perish or fade. Whatever else we're facing, can we take it to heart? The scripture says, if you're trusting in God, you're blessed. Friends, do you see who God is? Trust in him more. So I, I pray, I hope you saw the psalmist's desire for God. How a desire for God, it leads to praise. Let us sing a song to the Lord. We see a desire for God leads to actively pursuing worship with his people. May we make gathering a priority. We see a desire for God leads to prayer. Let our desire for God overflow in prayer, looking to Jesus Christ. The desire for God leads to heart change and being blessed by God. Oh, friends, I pray, oh, may God increase our desire for him. If you just bow with me, I'll close this word in prayer. Oh, Lord, that's the, the longing of my heart for you and for us, that we would desire you more. Lord, forgive us as we go after so many things, Lord, in this world. So many things draw our attention, our affections from you. Lord, forgive us. Grab hold of our wandering hearts. Grab hold of our wandering thoughts. And increase our longing, increase our desire for you, Lord. I pray you would do that in us. And seal this word in our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.